released on my birthday, Sunday, April 26th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 82. I'm famous on this podcast. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Jason doesn't like it when I say that, and so that just makes me want to say it more. With us tonight is Jason Tice. Oh, hi, John. How nice. It's so nice to start this episode. It's great to have you back, John. And I know in our last episode, we talked about Scrum Masters asserting their dominance. So it's great to have you back to get it started tonight. I wanted to start it off by asserting my podcast dominance. I had a good time in Las Vegas, but I'll tell you more about that later. With us also tonight is Lee McCauley. Hey, John. I, I'm still not getting over the, the constant jabs from, the, from Tice. Uh, Are they aimed uh, at you painful. or aimed at me? It doesn't matter. It's painful either way. I don't know where he gets off. <laughs> we have, boys, a very special guest with us on this episode of This Agile Life. All the way from Down Under, from the Agile Revolution podcast, we have the one, the only, Renee Troughton. Hello, everybody. Uh, and quick reminder, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Except not for crabs. That shit comes back with you. <laughs> oh, my goodness, John. We'll cut so that John, part out, right? So, John, all, all your radio <laughs> advice you got from your convention, that stays in Vegas, too. So, No, no, that, that no, that's knowledge. That has to come back with you. Renee, welcome to the crazy thing we call this Agile Life. We're very pleased and honored to have you here with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Agile Revolution that you have going on? Uh, oh, well, it's, it's, um, the Agile Revolution is a podcast in itself. Uh, myself, uh, Craig, and Tony have been running it for a few years now. I think it's almost up to three years. And it's a similar sort of podcast. We do a lot of interviews, but we also do similar sort of bantering between the three of us on our very uh, personal opinions. But aside from that, the Agile Revolution itself is really just a big shout out to what I feel is the transformation of the way that we work as business organizations throughout the world. Wonderful. And what are your, uh, your co-hosts, what are their last names? For those that don't listen to me. Craig Smith and Tony Ponton. Are they from Down Under as well? Yes. Uh, So Craig, Tony and myself first did our um, our first ever transformation in an organization in Brisbane, and that was around about 12 years ago. So we've been sort of uh, in and out of organizations with each other, uh, but very passionate people when it comes to Agile. That sounds wonderful. Uh, Twelve years—that's a—that's a long time to be in the, the agile business. So you guys certainly have, uh, I'm sure, a wealth of knowledge to share with your listeners. I was wondering if you have to ship your podcast over to the states by boat. Uh, no, we leave the boats for the refugees predominantly. Um, <laughs> just generally, just go via air freight. Very good. Yeah. That, that's a more efficient means well, of transport. Well, 
Or John, there is this thing called the internet. That, How does that work? Well, I don't know. It would work in Australia because didn't Al Gore create it? So I guess it go. I don't know if it goes there or not, but. Jason, uh, you apparently have a connection with Renee because you've you've hooked us up here on the on the Skype tonight with Renee. Why don't you tell us what your connection is? Well, so the reason we have Renee on here is Renee happens to be one of our keynote presenters at the 2015 Agile Games Conference that will be held in May 2015 in Boston. And so we wanted to um, have her on. It's great to have another podcaster on because they're they're familiar with the medium. And we thought we could use this as an opportunity to. I guess have a conversation with Renee and just kind of ask you since actually for those that don't know, John and myself and Amos, we're going to do a live episode of this agile life in Boston. So Renee, could, could you tell us maybe a few insights about what you're going to share with the people that attend the 2015 agile games conference? Certainly. Uh, so there's two sessions that I'll be talking to, obviously the, the keynote itself, and then there's a session in the afternoon. So the keynote is something that I'm, quite passionate about it's, it's pretty much two games blended together so snapper and snowflakes if you ever heard about those games but in essence uh, both of those games has a really important message coming out of it so snapper's focused around building the work right and snowflakes about building the right thing uh, and to me true agility these days is more around getting both of those equations right you can't have one without the other if you do then you still have an unsuccessful business and i, I see a lot of people around in the community who harp on around, you know, you must have the perfect scrum, you've got to do this, this is how you should be running retros. And at the end of the day, to me, it's just a big waste of us as a community and and the focus that we have because ultimately we're not here to do the most perfect retro or stand-up or whatever. We're here to have business agility. And I think some of us lose sight of the goal. And so the first game, which is called Puppet Mastery, uh, which blends those two games together, is really focused on bringing us back to that key goal. How can we get there? And having a lot of fun in, in the process by making paper puppets. So, so is that really a, an activity where, where you'll be challenging people to measure? Uh, yes, yeah, so there's a lot of design thinking. There's a lot of analytics that's built into the game. So knowing your customer is quite critical to success within the game and being able to get that feedback and measuring and learning from how your customers are utilizing it is important. Yeah, I just want to say, because I think that's one of the greatest potential things, and it's great you're going to share that at the conference, because games are a great way to teach people how to measure, you know, so you can actually see that as you change a process, you know, how do you, how do you measure the output? Or right? if you change a practice, um, that, that's what's most important because you should be measuring how it helps your team work better. And um, so that's awesome. You're going to put that into a game format and make it consumable. So hopefully people can take it back to others. So um, definitely. Yep. So you, make, you get to make puppets in this game. Do I have to talk to people? Because I really don't like talking to people. Uh, Agile is about collaboration. So I think it's valuable that you do talk to people. Oh, darn it. Okay. Uh, I'll, still, John, I'll still play it. Just Jason, you're not on my on my puppet team, though. John, John, what? you do a podcast, please. I don't actually oh talk to people on the podcast, so I just talk to you guys. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's funny. We're, so we're just resources. No. <laughs> so Renee, that's that's a game that everyone's going to play together, kind of in the keynote, right? So that's like everyone gets that experience. So. 
So how does that work with a large group? I mean, is that like where the room just gets filled up with energy because everyone's kind of together? I mean, does it get out of hand? I mean, what can you describe the experience that people could look forward to at the conference? Uh, so it's definitely a lot of fun. Uh, there should be a lot of frustration too. Uh, there sh- should be a lot of noise coming out of it. Uh, there's, there's different zones. So obviously you'll have, have your team zone where you've got your scrum team with your product owner and your scrum master and each table effectively is that team. Uh, but at the front there is the customer and, and I've also included, there's an angel, um, for, investment and for procurement as well. So there's a lot of different roles. There's a lot of different things at play at any point in time. Yeah. And I, and I bet because of that, there's probably some, um, I'm just going to call them physical constraints, right? Like where everyone wants to go up and talk to yes, the customer there will at the be same queuing. time. Yes. And of yep, course the customer's not queuing. there. Yes. Awesome. I love it. I love it. That's going to be awesome. So don't give away all the, all the tricks and stuff, Jason, because we're not giving it away. Right, we're just, right. we're going to say, <laughs> put us away for people that come. That's, it, well, unfortunately, Amos couldn't join us tonight, but Amos, um, oh, I think the, the three of us are going to have some conflict, I'm sure, meaning John, Amos, and I. Renee, you can all watch this from the from the side and be like, those guys are crazy. I told you you're not on my team. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, I, you know, that makes me feel so welcome, John. I appreciate that. I need my to ha- assert my dominance on you. My happiness metric is trending down, so... Well, so, so Renee, how about, the, how about your afternoon session? Is it, what, what's different? So, cause I know at that point at the conference, we're going to, I mean, we've got Adam Weisbart coming out. We've got a, uh, we got a bunch of people coming to agile games. So I know one of the things we're, we're, we're we actually were, we had a meeting about it earlier, to, uh, earlier today. We're kind of talking about like, we're going to have an MC uh, who's actually uh, John Vins, one of the guys who's put the, um, helped put the whole program together this year from agile New England. So we're going to make sure we give all the presenters a, a good introduction so people can, um, you know, decide which games to go check out. So I guess tell us about your afternoon games and, or your afternoon workshop and what you'll be doing in there. Uh, so they'll be split into two. So basically two other games, the first of which is Sudoku Bam, which is a learn game around Kanban. Um, so if anyone's ever played Russell Healy's Get Kanban game, um, similar but not the same. It's a bit different. Um, it's it's very physical and on a wall. Uh, it's based upon Sudoku puzzles, so there's a heck of a lot of um, intellectual uh, time required in order to do the, the puzzles. And so it's really an interesting game for me because it quite strongly mimics software development and that it's a quite an internal process. And a lot of people miss the fact that uh, whilst we do want collaboration, we also have some really critical constraints around keeping things quiet so that people can concentrate and get the code out. So I think it's a really good replica to software development as a process. And it sort of highlights the different roles and the the importance around, um, you know, generalization and, and T-shaping within the teams and less around, this is my particular puzzle to solve and more around how can we work as a team to get all the puzzles over the line. I tell you, as I said, that sounds really interesting. And um, it's funny, real life, I, I was doing a workshop this week and in the workshop, we we actually use Russ Healy's uh, Get Kanban game to uh, to demonstrate Kanban. And someone came up to me after the workshop. We played the game. They're like, I love the game. But they're like, they thought the whole the way that work was simulated was trivial. You know, just rolling the dice. And they're like, how yeah. they, they were like, that is no way a fair representation of the complexity that is involved in software development. And yeah. I love what, what you're describing because. 
okay, guess what? Well, now we're going to make your brain work and have that variability. And instead of just roll the die, you're, you, you're challenged. So that, that sounds exciting. Um, I know we're actually going to have another presenter, uh, Cheryl Hammond. She's going to actually show some um, ways to modify uh, Russ Healy's game, get Kanban and do some cool things with it. So that's a great game too. So again, I'm, lots of options there. So that's, that's really neat. So you got anything else in that workshop? Uh, in addition to that, I'm playing what's what I call the Agile Values game. So myself and a friend, Tyson Nutt, uh, built this game to try and teach basically the four Agile manifesto values and, and to let teams re-experience those again. Uh, so it, it takes the uh, marshmallow challenge and sort of changes it a bit in order to re-experience the Agile values. Do we get to eat the marshmallows? At the end? Sure. I thought the marshmallow challenge was like the... Uh, you get a bucket of marshmallows and pour it over your head? And eat them. Oh, like uh, the cinnamon uh, challenge. I'm surprised guys don't know the marshmallow challenge. Oh, Lee knows the, mar- Lee, know the marshmallow challenge. Lee knows the marshmallow challenge. I did the marshmallow challenge at a, a company meeting for my firm uh, back in January 2015. And... Oh, oh, Lee, describe what happened. We had lots of people trying to cheat the system. Uh, we had people uh, climbing up poles to, to put marshmallows as high as possible uh, with kind of bending the rules just a little bit. Uh, and, and so it was, it was a really interesting uh, bunch of tables. Yes. Um, and then at the end, we tried to figure out who won, and we had completely, we couldn't figure it out because... No one. Well, we we had a tape measure, but there was a controversy. And then, of course, the one that was taller as they were measuring it, it broke. So, um, oh, well. So but guess what? Everyone had fun. Uh, we completely couldn't even close it out because the room got so out of control. The sound system couldn't keep up. And it was uh, <laughs> if you I mean, it was a large scale challenge. It was over 200 people. So it was. If it, was, never it was one of the better ones that we've had, by the way. I thought it was cool. And here's how you know it was really good because because Lee and I work for a pretty we're a we're a pretty dev centric firm. So sometimes I've noticed Marshmallow Challenge when you do it with a really focused group of engineers, they're like, "Yeah, it's too easy." You know, okay, we're gonna cheat the rules, try to find the holes. And what's funny, then they do an evaluation, like that was just a waste of time. But then they realized after they filled the eval out about a week later, wow, we really did learn a lot. So it, it, it was a lot of fun. So um, so hopefully it's, it's great to hear we'll have that experience also as things, something for people to choose from at the Agile Games Conference. Definitely. And I did run it last week and I had a team that managed to put their marshmallow minus three centimeters below the table. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. I thought it was, yeah. Now, Renee, one of the things that we've talked about on the show is, uh, and and Jason, I guess, has brought it up with his his friend Luke Holman and recently having changed the name of his company away from games, having the name games in it to something else. Do you find that there's a stigma in businesses around the, the topic of using games and as opposed to, say, activities or exercises, the more enterprise-friendly version of the word games? I think it really depends on the organization. So really big corporates, definitely. They, um, I can't say I ran an awful lot of games at my last big corporate, but um, in a very small organization at this point in time, and they um, want the term games. They want to encourage fun as they learn. So it, it's just horses for horses. 
Yeah, well, and, and, it, and all the research out there has shown that, you know, you got to do something to promote engagement in the workplace. And so you, if you're not doing things to let people have fun, let them think the law of two feet is going to take in is going to take effect. So I think there's a place for games and like uh, like anyone, you got to know your customer. And so you figure out the word that works for them. I think it's also really dependent on time as well. So a lot of people just don't. Uh, have time to learn, which I think is the saddest thing. In Agile, in order to succeed, I do believe you need to create a learning culture. Uh, and so there's always this catch-22 between delivering versus learning and um, how to do both at the same time is quite tricky. So, Lee, you should say something. Ask Renee a question because you've been, like, quiet literally all night. Okay. So um... hold on a second, Lee. Uh, Jason, quit trying to assert your dominance on Lee. <laughs> I'm just trying to monitor airtime. And, and since some people talk too much, John, like you and me, you know, let's get Lee involved. All right, Lee. Now you're up. Okay. So actually, I do have a question. I was reading uh, your website, Renee, and saw one particular article that you, uh, you wrote recently, or blog post, that I thought was, was really interesting. It was called Agile is Dead, or, or Agile Doesn't Work. Sorry. While reading that uh, that blog post, I thought it was it was interesting how you noted that it wasn't that that agile wasn't working; it was that the people weren't working. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that particular sentiment. That a lot of the bad rap that agile gets is more about the fact that people don't actually do agile, but they think they are. It sort of goes back to the comment that I made earlier around true agility. Um, there's an awful lot of organisations that measure are we agile or not? And I think measurement, maturity assessments, anything in that vein is really counterproductive to the outcomes that we're trying to, to achieve. We should be measuring how long does it take us to deliver and are we getting any faster at that and how much of what we're delivering is actually valuable to the customer and are we measuring that? Uh, I just feel like we're measuring the wrong things in, in, in the community and maybe the reason why we got to that position is uh, we needed to demonstrate our worth as coaches, scrum masters, whatever else. We needed to prove how valuable we were and I think we sort of lost sight of the goal through that. So when people... Talk about, um, you know, organizations being agile or not. I know, to be honest, very few organizations that are, I would say, this is in Australia in particular, uh, that are truly agile. There's a lot of that are on the way that are trying to be agile, um, but it isn't around the practices that we're doing. It's more around the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. And I think we just need to reemphasize how we're looking at it. So, so would you say that there is such a thing as perfect agility? Because to me, it seems like agile, there's a continuum, but there is no like max agileness that's on that. There is no end. Yeah, which is always intriguing when you have maturity assessments, isn't it? Because that does indicate that there's a, a portion where you'll get to the end and you say, right, we're agile now. You can go off and go help someone else. Right. Uh, so, so I agree. I think there's always more that you can do in the in the idea of looking at lean and lean having a true north sort of concept where perfection 
is always something that's strived for but never attained. I think it's a very similar position that we should always be in. But in layman's terms, couldn't you almost take a swag at it and say that, you know, it's you're able to deliver when you need to. And so if that's yeah. if that's continuous delivery for you, awesome. If it's if it's not, you know, and maybe it doesn't make sense for you to, to deliver continuously, but you could deliver, you know, every week or whatever. But it, it makes it, the system is in balance is what I'm thinking of. So I'm thinking from lean Renee and saying that you have a demand on the system and software development can keep up with that demand and it's sustainable. So that would be one aspect, yes. Uh, but there are many different aspects that I think need to be measured other than that. So, um, yes, we could be delivering quite consistently, quite easily at a sustainable pace, but is what we're delivering valuable? Is what we're yeah. delivering uh, having issues in production? Does it have the quality that we want inside of it? Yeah, well, what's funny is it's uh, all I'm saying is, hey, Lee, what are we hearing? Your favorite word, measurement. <laughs> Lee, Lee's right. not a... Lee's not a fan of the measurement over there, Renee, sometimes. So. It's not that I'm not a fan. It's that I'm still working at it and I'm not any good at it. Well, but I, I got, that's that's my improvement. That's my been in my improvement goal so, for the last So year. I got a I got a plug here. It kind of to do with the Agile Games. It has to do with Lee, too. So I'm going to mash it all up here. Something I'm I think I'm famous for on this podcast. So we, we recently had an open space in St. Louis. It was our first ever public Agile open space that we held at a, a local university. And so first and foremost, thank you to the nearly 30 people that showed up on a whim, most of whom had never been to an open space before. And about half of them said, well, nearly everyone said they were going to come back. But about half of them said they would, they, again, they get the open space thing. They, they would love to go to an open space conference more so than a planned conference. So, Lee, unfortunately, here's the bad news. I made the Agile Buffet game. No, only the only person that showed up was Lee and I work for this guy who's also uh, typically on this Agile Life called uh, his name's Nate. He works for our firm. And Nate was the only guy that showed up. And I was like, OK, Nate, you know what? If it's just you and me, we work together. We'll do this some other time. Let's go to something else at the open space. But what's interesting is what I actually made the Agile Buffet game. You know what you have to do for every single practice, Lee? What's to, deci- to decide to do it. You have to decide how are you going to measure it so you know when you can move on. <laughs> So you have to decide that for every single thing on the buffet. I can't wait till you see this. You're going to love it. (laughs) And so the reason I share that with Renee here is we have the open space on the second day of the uh, Agile Games Conference. And so I'm going to bring the Agile Buffet game to Boston and a bunch of other games, too. And maybe we'll see if people want to play it up there. So it's it's kind of a team chartering game. It's designed to help uh, teams learn about the 60 the 60 different practices that are advertised by the Agile Alliance, and then to, um, again, decide what they want to use to get their team started and decide how they want to measure them. So hopefully that helps, I think, with some of the things you're talking about. Renee, when you were getting started and you mentioned how you had uh, been involved in a transformation a number of years ago, I'm guessing that Scrum wasn't uh, pop as popular back then as it is today. What was What was that first transformation like and how much how much Scrum are you guys doing now in your practice? Oh, great question. Uh, so back 12 years ago, there were four Agile frameworks. Uh, 
we did take an approach of being quite holistic at that point in time. So predominant of what was inside of the framework was both XP and Scrum. There's a little bit conceptually in there around um, Crystal as well, sort of that concept around tailoring and, and considering size. Uh, but nowadays, oh, it's a huge, it's a kit bag that we're using. So uh, it's still using sprints uh, and time boxing. I still think that's quite valuable. Uh, still using little bits of elements of XP, still valuable as well. Um, but more around looking at some lean-based elements in there as well, Kanban, um, lean startup in particular, especially in the digital space organisations that I've been working in, and scaling is a big deal. So uh, my last organisation that I worked with um, had around about 15 teams that I was coaching at, at its worst point at one stage and, and using not necessarily safe but bits from safe and bits from common sense and really just building our own scaling methodology, which, um, to be honest, was pretty awesome. So I don't really say that we follow any one anymore. Last time I looked, um, Craig and myself did a presentation of 40 Agile methods in 40 minutes, uh, and there really are just a plethora of different methods, techniques, practices, ideologies out there that you can pick and choose from, uh, but most people aren't aware that there's something other than Scrum. Yeah, that's the interesting part, and that was that was where I was going to come in on this, was that every time I seem to be in front of a group of people, they they automatically think agile, they think scrum, they think scrum, they think agile, and they think that those two are are uh, the only uh, as a combination. They are the only answer. I, I guess that's the most common term framework. Um, I don't even think people think of it as a as a framework when you're talking about like executives and managers and vice presidents and MBAs and those sort of people, they, they tend to think of Scrum as, as the end-all, be-all. Um, but it's, it's interesting because then you have to go immediately into, well, yes, that's one way to go about it. And, and I like your analogy of the kit bag of having all of this bag of tricks that you can, can bring into an organization and say, you know, we're going to use this one here for you guys because that seems to be right for your culture. It seems to be right for your, to go along with your engineering practices. Uh, how much do you differentiate in your kit bag between things that are focused on uh, what I will what I will term project management as opposed to like engineering practices? This is where it gets a little bit complex without a picture. But myself and Craig for a while have been working on this concept around an enterprise transformation meta model. It sounds absolutely huge, but the idea of it is, in essence, it's a framework where you can put. Any frame, any method, uh, such as Scrum, Safe, um, you know, product development flow, and so forth, inside of this, and it sort of maps inside of different aspects of this meta model. Uh, and what this meta model demonstrates is a number of different lenses of types of methods and and processes that we have out there. It tries to categorize them. Um, I'm getting to a point here eventually, but uh, so I sort of just need to walk you through it a little bit in, in order to answer the question. Uh, so one element of the framework sort of says, well, 
of this particular process? What does it address? Does it look at values? Does it look at principles? Does it deal with process, practices and techniques? And it sort of highlights which elements and to what degree it addresses those. But the other lens that it does is how does it impact the organisation? Does it impact at a team layer? Does it impact at a department or at a scaling layer? Or does it impact the organisation as a whole? And then it sort of does a cross matrix of how does it impact? Does it impact the way that we work? So the way that we work could be from a software development perspective or it could be from a knowledge management practices perspective. And then it goes out from there to say, okay, how do we govern work? And then how do we govern and manage people? So it sort of looks at uh, this as a, as a multidimensional matrix um, from every single method that we have out there in the Agile and the Lean community and sort of maps it to that picture. Then what you start to do is you start to say, well, what are the problems that we need to address from a transformational perspective? So you look at it in reverse. You have a blank slate. You say, what are the things that we need to fix sooner rather than later? And you utilize this meta model as a means to be able to say, okay, what methods out there helps us solve these problems? So that's interesting. That's a, that sounds like a tool that you use at the beginning of, beginning of the engagement to, uh, as maybe part of an assessment to help identify things to start looking deeper into. Is that right? Beginning and throughout, yes. Yeah. So yeah. definitely as a beginning, but it's, it's a journey. Um, and in order to get to enterprise agility, then you have to do some really hard work. And it sort of demonstrates in a single picture just how hard that is. Have you found, because again, we haven't seen the picture, Renee, but have you found that there's enough predictability in your meta model that it, it works? Because I know from some of my own experiences, it's like one organization went down one journey and was successful and another organization, even initially, it, it looked like it was going to go down the same journey and then it pivoted and went elsewhere and it was completely different for different reasons and different practices were were engaged as a result to the point that I, I struggle to see how having a model like that could be reusable in a predictive fashion across different complex environments. Definitely have been using it for a little while now, for the last about eight months. It's been predominantly more useful for discussions than anything else. So uh, two elements. One is around visibility about what's out there. So to your point earlier that a lot of people think it's just Scrum that's out there, as you start to go through this model, you start to appreciate that Scrum really has boundaries to it and doesn't fix all the problems. So this model is quite useful in, in discovering that there's more problems that we need to fix and that there's more um, processes or frameworks out there in order to help address that. So it's it's more as an information um, and a knowledge tool than anything else. I wouldn't necessarily say if you pick this box and the tool recommends X, Y, and Z, if you go along and implement those, you're guaranteed success. No, because in a very similar position, I don't see anyone that's guaranteed success in any agile transformation. It is hard work. And you're not proposing this as a one-size-fits-all, right? You're saying that this is a framework uh, with which you can analyze what's going on to help you make some decisions. Exactly. Yep. I was able to find the uh, a presentation out on SlideShare that you did, Renee, that's introducing the enterprise transformation meta model that I'll include in our show notes here for everybody. Thank you. 
Well, all I wanted to say is I think it I think, Renee, what you've touched on is probably one of the most important really for probably anyone listening to us is that, you know, to be in this space, you've got to be able to tell a story and not not. And when I say that, I mean to convey, a, you know, kind of a story. You have to show empathy. You have to explain and help people really understand the potential value from changing how they changing things they're used to. And so it's, you know, if, if a meta model helps with that or sometimes even just explaining at a high level what, you know, worked in one place and using it to have an open discussion about, well, maybe that would work here and maybe it wouldn't. Let's talk. Let's talk through that and decide on trade offs. It's that's just a critical skill that's I think sometimes in the coaching community, we don't we don't emphasize enough. Because it's so critical to getting people to understand how to take risks and to really allow you to coach them um, and to trust you that, you know, that you'll be able to help them um, find their way to improvement. I think it also goes back to we don't want to go in as coaches and say, okay, we're going to implement these two methodologies and then I'm done because uh, you're not guaranteed success. What's really required is critical analysis given the problem domain that you're working in and what potential solutions are out there in order to solve that. Um, so it's about not seeing everything as nails. With a hammer to go around and bang on them with, yeah. Yes, scrum yes. is a hammer. Boom, boom, boom. All of your problems are nails. Yes. I think one of the, one of the things that happens is that we get very caught up in, in the enterprise and when we're, when we're out, at least I see it with when I'm out there doing consulting engagements where people are very focused on what processes are we going to use? What tools are we going to be using? And back to one of the things that you mentioned, Renee, earlier was that a lot of the things that you can run into sometimes are people related, right? It's, it's not the process. It's, it's people. It's, it's helping transform the way people are thinking. And the easiest thing to transform is a set of processes within an organization. It's much more difficult to uh, transform the way people think and the way people synthesize information and, and figure out how they're doing their jobs within the context of uh, the, the new work processes that are out there. What are some, some pieces of advice that, that you give to organizations and teams as, as they're grappling with and dealing with situations where they're having difficulty getting people to uh, start to transform their skills, if you will? Well, I think um, there's a couple of things that actually goes back to a little bit to metrics. So it's, it isn't enough just to say, hey, give this a go. Sometimes you need to provide a little bit of evidence to say this has worked previously and this is why it's worked previously. But more importantly, as per any good change management sort of one-on-one is understanding the problems that people are dealing with, um, understanding their mindset at that particular time. Are they even open to new ideas at this point in time? You know, they could have just had a family disaster and they're completely off the planet as far as their willingness to listen to anything. So uh, empathy is a huge trait that any particular coach needs uh, as they're working with teams. So a lot of the behavioral science elements is quite critical. And I think a lot of, there's a lot of um, 
lack of appreciation about the complexity of an agile coach role. In order to do the role quite effectively, you need such a huge range of skills and experiences in order to be effective. And I think ultimately that's why we fail so often is that we don't really appreciate how hard a role it is. And in, especially in the early days of, of a team adopting Agile and starting to take on Agile practices, I think, it's, I think it's difficult because you're at a point in time where you don't have any sort of uh, hard metrics. You don't even have any, any anecdotal metrics that you could point to to say, here's what's been working for us. Here, here's how well um, we're doing. Here's where we are charting a course down the road. You're really dealing with uh, having asking people to take a little bit of a leap of faith at some point to say, let's start to put some of these practices in place. And if you if you neglect the side of things with coming up with some measurements, some ways to determine, is it getting better for you? Is it getting worse? Is it more difficult? Are things easier to do now? Are we going faster? Do we have higher quality? Then it's very difficult to convince anyone um, of of making a change and sticking with that change. Yes, yeah, so I, I sort of categorize people, and it's quite easy to, to pick them quite early on into three categories. So one is people who are just willing to give anything a go. Um, so so they have still got their inner child. Something hasn't happened through their life experience where they've lost that inner child and that that curiosity. It's because um, they didn't go through an MBA program. Probably. Whatever. They're the change, natural change advocates, and they're the people that you try and leverage first. Second group of people are people who sort of need to uh, see it at play for a while before they'll convert across. And I think a good majority of people are actually in that group. And then a very small group of the people who will give it a go and still hate it to bits and then just fight you tooth and nail the whole way. And that's. Yeah, you know, I, I find that it's generally only one or two percent at the end of the day, uh, assuming that you have great sponsorship for the transformation. Because if you don't have that, you're going to fail no matter what you do. It's interesting, John. I was going to go back a bit because I'm curious about your statement that you have no measurements. Just very early, right? The the initial days as you're starting to transform a team. But go ahead. But if the but if it's a if it's a team that has been working, I would say you could go back and you could figure out a baseline release cost. Because they've been working, you could figure. Yeah, you could do something, and it's gonna be it's gonna be low fidelity. It's gonna be coarse, and it's probably, but it's somewhere to start. I and maybe my background, obviously, John, as you like to talk about the MBA people who I happen to represent, we love to measure (laughs) things, and and there is so much value in measurement. Most people, most teams and organizations are sitting on top of missed opportunities to get better simply because they aren't measuring. And so that's that's my 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 calling to everyone out there to say. Stop what you're doing, use your brain, think, Okay, we've been building this thing for the last two years. We're going to start doing agile, but we've been building it. You know, we've been releasing every four months. Okay, great. We've got a team of six people. They work for four months and they do a release. We can figure out what the cost of that is. And you know what? We know our cost per release. And we probably have lots of pros and cons about that big cost because it's a big, big cost. We'd like that to be smaller slice increments of cost. Start to start to whittle it down. And it could be you could have quantitative data from day one, which helps everyone involved make good decisions. Yes. Uh, and, and I want to I want to. Oh! I, 
Hold Yay! on a second. I'm not saying you're, I'm not saying you're right. I'm just getting you to be Ship quiet it. for a second. You may have data that was prior to the beginning of of the time when you're saying we're here. We're beginning our transformation. But what I'm saying is early days within a team as they are starting their their path on onto agile development, you have few metrics that you can rely upon to show improvement and to show how things are getting better and to convince people who are who are the ones that they need evidence in order to bring them bring them on onto the transformation ship, if you will, right? So I'm saying um that that's the point in time where it it's a lot of soft selling and being sensitive to people's emotions, being sensitive to people's uh, you know, intellectual and emotional uh IQ and whatnot and making sure that uh you're you're not uh proposing a governance, you know, model that's going to keep them down or anything that you're you're open to the evolution. But the question so, that I had back to you uh, and we'll get to Lee in just a second here is Jason, what what is the last responsible moment to begin collecting metrics? So so John, I just wanted to to chime in yeah. and and ask were you just saying that in the early days of a project you had to BS? Oh yes, entirely. Okay. Lee. You, that's you, what I that's what I heard. I just wanted me. to make sure that oh, okay. I was Okay, okay. We're parking like that. Next I had to episode. put my salesman hat on, right? Next episode, okay. And unless Renee, you want to get on, get in. A, or, you know, Renee, we will still be debating this at the Agile Games Conference, so you can get in on it there if you want to. So, um, I don't. Um, let's see here, John. I don't quite. Last responsible moment was as to when you should begin collecting metrics. And I'll tell you what, a, a friend of ours, Oliver Farini, asked this question during the uh, during one of the corporate uh, company company meetings a long time ago you and I were both there I was on the stage with with some people taking questions and and Oliver asked that and never got a straight answer so I thought oh, that, maybe that was, yeah that's right that was that company that didn't acknowledge I knew anything about that so I wasn't allowed on the stage that's right okay I remember yeah, that exactly okay so you know what I'd like to ask Renee oh you're dodging the question no I'm not I'd just like to be respectful to our guest okay, to sure. see if if she has an idea I'm I'm a general last responsible moment in most of the things that I do. So it's, it's to me, uh, there's a couple of metrics that you sort of can't get away with doing straight away. Um, so the ones that you critically do need to do would be around cycle time. You do need to critically understand your employee engagement. Uh, and in some ways you need to be able to represent the value that you're delivering. So those would be the three things that I'd try and measure day one. I, I like that. And, and John, I, I support what Renee says, because I, I think that, again, like I said, organizations, teams and even people miss opportunities to improve because they don't know what they're doing. I got a challenge for you, John. You and I can go out to the airport sometime. OK, we're going to take the plane up in the air. We're going to put a blindfold on you and we're going to say land it. OK, can you land a plane without with zero, zero awareness? If you tell me what to do. But guess what? If I tell you, I'm going to be looking at the altimeter. I'm going to be looking at the airspeed. Or, or you know what? Even if we don't have, even if the console's out, I'm going to be looking out the window to see where the ground is, okay? That's data. That's what, that's what Renee and I are talking about here. It might be very simple. It may be very coarse, but it's there, and it should be there on day one because I don't think you could land the plane blindfolded. Well, one thing, one thing that, uh, that 
Renee said that I, I really want to know how to do well is how do you quantify the value that you bring to your customer? Amen, brother. So, so that's the one that I, I totally agree. That's, that's what you need, but I don't know how. So early on. Yeah. Early on, it's incredibly subjective, but as you evolve, I would hope the value would be in the number of hypotheses that you've proven and disproven. Following a, a, a lean, lean startup approach, right? Yep. Yep. Or if you're a coach working with a team or a group, why don't you ask your group to measure your own net promoter? Ask them, you know, would they recommend you to a colleague? And do net promoter, and if and then and then do follow recommend, up. recommend what to a colleague? So hi, John. I'm your Product. coach. Would you recommend the way I've helped you recently, like the last few weeks? Would you recommend me to a colleague? So we're, Rate we're ta- that on a we're talking point scale. We're talking here about assessing the uh, the value delivered via the product that you're creating, not you as an agilist. Well, no, Lee said as an agilist, so Lee pivoted the conversation a bit. Don't put words in Lee's mouth. Well, actually, I was I was specifically talking about the product itself, but I'm also interested in the agilist part. But uh, but I got to go with John on this one. I, the part that's really tough is uh, is how do I quantify the the value that I as a developer am providing to uh, to a large team, or how how much do I value the team? How much is the product that the team is creating? How is that valued? That is a, that's not a trivial question. It's harder to do than the Git Kanban game, you know, lays it out to be because they've got all these dollars. Yeah, right. They've got the dollar signs on the card, right? It's like, no, that's because the BA, the BAs did the analysis, but that John, you fired all the BAs. Yeah, I fired all the BAs. But the interesting thing is that they're always hypotheses. That's not proven value. I agree. So to me, to me, you actually have to prove the point that you've actually succeeded or not once you've gone into production. And there's that leap of faith involved. So you actually have to build something to measure it, to know whether it's valuable or not. So just as a, an example of this, um, and this is once you've got a product out there uh, that people are using and you are making money from, for example, if you are lucky enough to have such a product, then you can look at the at the metrics of. Hey, how many people are, are, uh, you've got some bug that just came in, right? And we've seen this time and time again, where the, the, uh, management just gets, Oh, been out of shape. Oh, there's this bug. And then you look at the, at the data, at the metrics, and you find out that that particular bug is affecting 1% of the thousands of people that are, that are using your product. And those people, uh, and that's accounting for, you know, some small amount of money. And you say, okay, well, we have this other bug over here that's going to cost us uh, way more um, that's been on the board a little longer. And let, let's now we can put a, a dollar amount value on those things. So I, I, know, I know that there are ways to do that, but how do you do that before you've got a, a, a product out there? If someone says, hey, I've got this great idea. Help me build it. And it's going to take six months to build it. How are you saying this is, how can you say this is how much money I can, will, I can make you or will make you or I, I, I don't know how to so, do that. So I think that's part of the, the, the key takeouts of the puppet mastery game is that you just can't. 
Um, you have a best guess from a product owner, but at the end of the day, the product owner has no clue what the market really wants or doesn't want. So this is why you need to get something out quickly, start measuring quickly, uh, and then starting to learn and, and change based upon that. You know, Lee, one of the things that, that I have done with product owners and product development is in the early days of products is very similar to how I coach teams regarding estimates. Uh, in the event that we can't get away from estimates, right? That the estimate, there's there's a estimate that is a guess, and then there's actually what it took to implement uh, time-wise or feature dollar or you know story point or whatever you're using. It's a similar thing, I think, when you're assessing value. Someone has to make some judgment uh, and and take a guess and say, I believe that this is this valuable. And since this person is the product owner. They're your subject matter expert. They're the, they're in the best position to uh, make that guesstimate as to value. So taking some time to at least give it a funny money sort of value and say, you know, this one's worth ten dollars. This one's worth two dollars. Doing a thing like that, uh, so you can at least put some relative amount of value towards them, and then you can as the product matures, maybe start to get better about that. But I'm not even sure that you really need to get accurate. Again, what are you doing with that, right? You're using that in your calculation to figure out, is it important? Should we work on it? How good can I feel as a member of the team for us having delivered this? You know, this is a 10-point value story to the business. That's huge. We had a great win. And whether or not it garners uh, the same dollar in the marketplace that everyone predicted and expected that, I mean, you're so far removed from realizing that, that uh, I don't think that's important. What's important is how it was assessed while you were bringing that feature up through the development cycle. That makes me feel a lot better, guys. I I appreciate that because uh, now I don't have to feel guilty every time I I go into into a planning session and ask my my product owner to give me uh, uh, to give some value to these things, and and I can't give them anything precise. Well, or well, as, wait a, wait a, I, I would just say, hey, if you've never played a virtual market game, like buy a feature, go play one. Because guess what, they work. Renee was going to say something. We should let Renee wrap it up. So, so I was just going to say, if you mean if you have a look at the definition of a weighted shortest job first prioritizes technique. Uh, in essence, you have an element of business value in there, but it's just a ranking between one and 10 of how valuable this is. It is always going to be subjective. So just out of curiosity, has anybody ever actually taken in a pile of uh, monopoly money and given it to your business owner and said, here's the amount of money you can spend for this, for this sprint or this period? And yes. Like- Yes, I've done it uh, at least a half dozen times this year already, John or Lee. Sorry, I'm getting people mixed up. Awesome. Yes, I, it's I, fun. I will. I will definitely uh, try to push a little harder on. And that if one. you don't have the monopoly money, here's the trick: go out and buy some nice green post-it notes because they're cheap, and you can make your own money. So you're there being are- you're being uh, Amerocentric here. Uh, oh, not all money is green. Right. Take that. Know. What color is the money True. in Australia, Renee? 
there is the 20 is a red, the wow. five is a purpley blue, uh, greens are 100, and fifth, uh, I haven't seen a 50 for so long. Um, <laughs> tens, tens are a blue. Well, put it this um, way. I, I'd like to have that, but that sounds like pretty because that would make that would when people then go put you put all the stories up on your wall and then you have the business. So you give everyone your business, you give them the same amount of money to make them equal. You say, hey, guys, guys and gals, go invest and it will look like a rainbow. And that would just it's amazing what you learn about your stakeholders if you do that exercise. Yeah, so I, I actually have a burn rate that's generally visible with the team so what is their cost as a team but i try and keep the teams fixed so uh so the actual burn rate doesn't change itself and that we move the work to the teams rather than the other way around all i could say is thank you because i say every team needs to be looking at their budget you know like it's how, how much gas is left in the tank so i i appreciate what you're doing renee yes thank you thank you renee for joining us can't wait to meet you back at the uh back at the agile agile games 2015 in boston massachusetts I look forward to being there. I am so excited. It's like we had a old little we had our old little pre-conference workshop tonight. And guess what? We're going to give it away to everyone. So download this. And of course, if you haven't had a chance to register, go to agilegamesnewengland.org. We'll talk about it in the show notes. Of course, it's probably going to be one of my picks. And um, it's not too late to sign up. This it, it is um, it's uh, almost May 2015. So it is the last responsible moment to register. We hope you'll come see us. And of course, come see um, uh, Renee as our keynote at Agile Games 2015. So, uh, Jason, did you just ask the listeners to download this podcast? <laughs> I think Actually, totally, I think what did. I should do is if you've downloaded this and you're listening to it, this is when you stop your car. If you're seeing the car, pull over and like tweet this out or post it on LinkedIn or whatever you do for social media and let your friends and colleagues know about it. And um, yeah, share, share the wealth. And again, share the um, share the perspectives that uh, that Renee has provided from halfway around the world. So which we appreciate you joining us. Um, yeah, we've had the work of the time zone, so it was really cool. Thank you guys for having me on. So I just want I just want to close out with one other complaint. Why is it that the game Monopoly is only sold by one company? I don't think that's fair. This week's hottest picks. All right, Jason, go ahead. You're up first with our pick this week. Thanks, John. So I got a, I got three picks this week. So everybody's favorite. It is once again, it is that time of year. The annual version one state of agile survey is out. It actually came out a while back. We have been too busy to talk about it. And so we would like to ask everyone to go out and read it. And guess what we're going to do? It's time for the annual This Agile Life review and comprehensive analysis of everything version one had to say. Uh, spoiler alert guess what the number one agile tool is this year version one it hasn't changed oh and it's not version one okay go check it out okay okay so check it out we'll do it we're gonna do an episode on it coming up so we have to have nate Mackey on because that's his favorite thing that we do yes we do so then i got two live events two live events first and foremost we talked about it agile games 2015 may 16 and 17 boston massachusetts come join uh john myself amos and most importantly you'll join renee and all her fun games she's gonna do so it's awesome we've got a one-day program and then we've got a one-day open space where cool things happen llewellyn falco is going to challenge everyone in the open space to 
change the games that have been presented at the conference. So it's going to be awesome. So check us out in Boston in May 2015. Also, for those of you on the East Coast, I am, I'm actually going to be presenting on Scrum Metrics, beyond the basics, at Big Apple Scrum Day 2015 on June 1st in New York, New York. So not too far from where that O'Reilly guy is. Maybe I should go see him. The two factors can get together and talk about things. So, But in addition to the the metric session, they're having a Scrum Alliance coaching clinic. So I'm going to be there doing coaching sessions. And it's going to be a blast. So come check us out. That's Monday, June 1st, New York, New York, USA. Uh, and we'll put the link in the show notes if you want to come and join us. So um, that's all I got. Lee, what do you have this week? So my pick this week is actually a book called Game Storming, a playbook for innovators, rule breakers, and change makers. It's basically just I, know a, we, I know we've picked that before. That's okay. It's a great book. You don't expect me to actually listen to this show, do you? Of course not. <laughs> so I, it is a good book. And so I just discovered it. So I thought I would uh, repost it, I suppose. Uh, it's, it's worth two picks, Lee. It's exactly, exactly. And, th- and their site, by the way, is also pretty good. We have a link to that. And it's got uh, several games uh, available on the site as well. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. I guess I'm up next then, Jason, huh? That's what's in the notes, John. Okay. So my two picks. First up, an article. Um, I don't know if it's on Software Development Times or where it's at, but uh, it Git is now 10 years old, the, uh, the source repo. And uh, they got together with Linus Torvalds and, and did an interview with him, 10 years of Git. So go out there, check that article out. Also, a uh, shameless plug to follow along with Jason's many shameless plugs. I'll be up in Dearborn, Michigan on uh, April 30th through May 1st at Agile and Beyond 2015. Tickets are still available. I think you can buy them at the door. So come on out there. There's a bunch of uh, great keynotes planned. The first one's by Esther Derby and uh, the second one by Alistair Coburn. So come on out, check those out. I'll be doing my uh, session on the afternoon of um, May 1st. Come out and check us out at, uh, De- in Dearborn, Michigan. Are you going to talk about Broadway musicals? I don't know. Why? Because I'm going to talk about Broadway musicals and metrics in New York. It's going to be awesome. I promise no Broadway musical discussions in my uh, session. To talk about Les Miserables, about an agile revolution. I, I don't even know where to go with that. Lee, can you get him under control? Well, I thought that sounded like a great segue over to Renee, the agile revolution. Uh, so I'm going to do Shane's blogging as well. So if you haven't had a look at my blog, you can check it out at agileforest.com. In particular, I'd highlight um, maybe going to the Frequency Foundation blog. It is probably the most interesting and the most uh, revealing uh, blog around some elements of the Agile community. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you can check out my trialing of my work that I'm trying to do on the enterprise transformation metamodel.com. Or I also have a website called which has some really great tips and tricks on visual management. Pimpmyboard.com. Renee contributes to visual management. I see that. Mm-hmm. Very good. Excellent. Thank you for those picks, Renee. And thank you for joining us on this episode of This Agile Life. It has been quite a pleasure and an honor to have you here with us from so far away it's it's uh, certainly interesting and 
exciting to be able to connect with you and uh, share insights as far apart as we are so easily via Skype and, and the wonder of the internet. Thank you. All right, that's all we have time for this episode. Check out thisagilelife.com for our show notes and all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.